Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. On this Best Deal episode, we will explore the human side of real estate investing with a seasoned pro about the legendary best deal of their life. The deal isn't just the investment, it is also the person executing it. Stay with us and learn what it takes to be the best investor possible. Hi, this is Scott Smith, and you're with the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, and today we have the pleasure of speaking with my good friend Frank Carrier, who is a top-ranked uh, mobile home park owner in the United States, and he's going to be sharing with us today one of his best deals. So, uh, Frank, thanks for coming on the show today. And That's cool. Thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm excited to hear about uh, what you got going on and share with you about like, what's the beginning, middle, and end of that best deal. Do you want to give us a little bit of a background or what would be important for us to know about you and in correlation to this deal? Yeah, sure. Well, first, a little background on me. I'm the, uh, with my partner, Dave Reynolds, we're the fifth largest owners of mobile home parks in the U.S. We've got about 300 properties, about 700 employees. We've been doing this for a little over two decades. And I've been featured on everything from the New York Times to National Geographic, because not that many people are in the mobile home park sector, and then additionally, we'll actually talk to anyone about it. So I've just been doing this for a long, long time. So, and my deal I'm going to talk about is my best deal. In fact, will be my first deal I ever did. I know that's kind of unique. And just because it's structured in such a strange way, it's something which in the within the grasp of almost anybody. And then it led, it began my path to becoming fifth largest. So if you like, I'll just go ahead and jump into that deal. Yeah, Frank, how did you get started? I mean, if it was one of your first deals, like what, what initially got you interested about doing that deal? Well, what happened to me was I had actually started out of college a uh, billboard company out of absolutely nothing and built that up and sold that in 96 to a public company. So I had some capital and I wanted to find something new to invest in and then devote my you know eight or 10 hour a day slot of time to working on something and didn't know what it would be but I started looking at lots of different sectors. And the one that intrigued me was mobile home parks because it was just so weird. I mean, no one back in 96, not one person I knew owned a mobile home park. The zoning is very rare. The industry is very odd. I like the fact it was kind of the dollar general of housing. It's definitely affordable housing. And then this particular deal was offered to me and in a manner which I could not refuse it. So I basically bought my first deal or said, okay, I'll take it right on the phone. And what the deal was, it was a mobile home park. I built a couple of billboards on called Glenhaven down in Dallas. And the deal, the guy's pitch to me was he'd sell it to me right now, sight unseen for $400,000 with 10,000 down. And he would carry 390,000 for 30 years. And I could not pass that up. I knew nothing about Glenhaven. I knew nothing about the mobile home park business. All I knew was it was 83 lots on a highway in Dallas. It was losing $2,000 a month. And he'd sell it to me under this insanely attractive seller financing. So that's how I got into it. It was literally just an immediate point of purchase buy. And that's how I got into it. How did you know this guy? Uh, I had built two billboards on his property, and uh, over the years, probably once a year, he would call me up and say, hey, can you do me a favor? When you're out driving around looking at billboards, can you stop by? Because 
I've been trying to reach the manager for a week and he won't answer the phone. So I go over to the mobile home park, go to the guy's old nasty trailer, knock on the door. Guy would open the door, typically in his underwear. What do you want? Ron says he won't call him back. Okay, I'll call him. And then we just repeat that same scenario once a year. Wow. So that's how I knew. That's how I knew the seller. That's how I knew it was the park. Okay. And so it sounds like you had a pretty decent relationship with this guy before you got into it to know whether this is a real. Yeah, but not, but not huge. It wasn't like we were hanging out and eating dinner and I wasn't calling him saying, Hey, what's new? I mean, I literally heard from the guy like once a year. Yeah. And beyond that, I was sending him a check every month for billboard rent, but I didn't really have any pre-existing relationship with him. Okay. Uh, how did you know that this was a real deal? I mean, sometimes you get deals and they're like, oh, God, this is too good to be true. Like, how did you sort that out in your head? Well, I mean, this is what I knew. I knew it was on a highway. That's always good, no matter what kind of real estate you're in. And I knew that it has very rare zoning because when you build billboards, you're always have you can only build them in certain zonings and spacing. So I knew I never saw MH mobile home zoning rarely in Dallas. And I knew that I liked stuff that's basic because billboards are kind of basic. And this was even more basic. It was housing. And I like industries that are built on cheapness. So I like the fact that I would be the cheapest, most bargain basement part of housing. And then I like the fact that the problem with the park, quantifiable. I mean, if the guy had said, yeah, I'll take my park, please, 10000 down. I but And it was running good. I think, oh, God, there's some kind of huge latent defect. It's on top of a, top of a landfill or something. But because it made sense to me, you know, the guy's losing two grand a month. So he just wants to unload it. I thought, well, I could probably solve the two grand a month. And of course, I also thought if I can't solve the two grand a month, I'll just give it back to him. Right. So I was, I kind of had my risk hedged on that a whole lot. That's how it worked. That's cool. And did you also assume in there or thinking back on it, did it help that you actually knew that the manager of the property was basically? No, no. I, I knew right off the bat that the first thing they had to go was the manager. Yeah. Knowing the guy was of no value at all, that the guy was a complete catastrophe. That, that's why I was losing two grand a month. I mean, the guy was a nut. Yeah, especially with something that big, right? Like it's just a small tweak in management and your cash flow positive. Yeah. I mean, so cool. again, I was, I was willing to give it a whirl. I was willing to lose $10,000 to see if I could fix it. That was basically how it worked. Ah, that's awesome. What I love about that too is that you have a very quantifiable downside risk, right? That it's like yeah. only 10 grand. Like I'll take a $10,000 gamble. I mean, that's even better than any other piece of real estate where you're not like this loan and you're tied up in your name and it goes on a foreclosure. Those are way more risky. Yeah. That's cool. So what is that like in the yeah. middle of this process? So you start down, you, he tells you about this deal and then you jump into it like the next week or like the next day or. Yeah. Well, we closed about three weeks later, roughly. Okay. And because he had to, we had to get a title company and all the stuff together. But in the interim, he gave me his profit loss statement, which, and we're not talking computerized, beautifully done. We're talking just, I thought it was roughly accurate. I didn't even know for sure. But I was looking down the different cost factors, and there it was, so obvious to me with the one, how I could fix the negative immediately. And that was, he had a cable TV bill that was coming in of like almost 3000 a month. So I asked him, what's this cable TV item? Because that seems kind of weird. And he said, oh, yeah, well, as an extra amenity for the residents, I got everybody free cable TV a few years ago. I did the math. He had 83 lots, and the bill was almost 3000 So that's like almost 40 a month. And this is, bear in mind, this is back in mid-90s. 
And in the mid-90s, a regular household cable was only 40 bucks a month. So I called up the cable company prior to closing and said, hey, what's the deal on the cable contract at Glenhaven? And they said, oh, yeah, yeah. Ron Guy signed it up like three or four years ago. I'm like, okay, well, when does it end? Oh, it already ended. Oh, so I'm a month to month. Yeah. Oh, why is it so high? Oh, well, you know, we just charge him the cable amount per lot. I said, well, it, what about any kind of discount? What about a wholesaling or anything? Oh, no, we didn't ask for any of that. We just set it up as residential. Also, I just said, well, I'm canceling it. They said, you can't cancel it. Holy crap, that's impossible. If you cancel it, people won't have any cable. I said, well, number one, he's only half occupied. So he's basically paying you guys like $80 a month per lot. And you know you're taking advantage of it because you know you don't have 83 cable boxes out there. And on top of that, people can get dish. They can get direct. They don't even need your cable. That was the bizarre start of the deal. So I already found the way to break even before I even closed on it. So now it was not here's a park that's losing 2000 a month. Now it was here's a park that's breaking even. So that, that, was, that was the lucky initial thing. Well, which is awesome, right? Because now you found a way to be able to to look at the P&L statement and then find out a way to be able to at least make it profitable or break even just from that one. Right. Piece, right? The P&L statement on that, I think, is, is also an interesting part to the story because it's like they're not perfect records. So how, how do you go? Oh, yeah. That? Is it kind of like you said, well, I think these probably should be renting for this and just kind of you're doing it by rules of thumb and saying that kind of roughly matches up. So probably OK. Well, yeah. But back then, I didn't even know what the various light items of a mobile home park were. Right. Now, the only thing I knew that, I, that gave me an advantage was if this had been an RV park or any business where every day you open the doors and see who wanders in like a restaurant or something, I would have nothing to go by but, but the guy's financials or what if they were fraudulent, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the manager was an alcoholic, so he could have baked the whole thing. So what I did have in my corner was the fact that I could tangibly count each mobile home. So I knew exactly how many mobile homes there were. And of those, I was able to discern that which was vacant from that which was occupied. His occupied had signs of life, turning power meter, car in the driveway, stuff inside. So I knew what I was getting into on the revenue side. Then on the cost side, I was able to get from the city of Dallas the water and the sewer bills, the payment schedule for the last three years, and the power, and all of the most of the costs. So even though I didn't know what the heck I was doing, I did have the ability to actually make sure that the statements were seemingly accurate. Now, I'm not that was my first deal, obviously much better today. But back then, I was able to really get the financials pretty tight. And actually, then after I bought it, the financials were pretty tight. I would not have bought it if this was like a restaurant, like, like you know, Tom's Burger Shack. I couldn't have bought it because I would have never believed the statements. Anyone could have said, oh, yeah, we sell thousand dollars a day of burgers and then you buy it you find out they sell like one burger the very fact that the homes are already in there gave me huge peace of mind on it and then the fact i could actually get the actual numbers from the actual utility providers that gave me another peace of mind so that part of it that part was pretty easy to nail did you at any time in here uh, look for anybody else to, to partner with you or outside counsel or anything like that or were you just kind of winging it yourself no, I was going to wing it. I've really always been a total miser. I hate spending money on stuff. The title company itself, if you ask them, is the greatest bargain because the title company has its own internal lawyer. 
right? So once you're going to close it through the title company, they'll typically, if you ask them, have their own lawyer who is free, review your contract to see if there are any problems. So that's where I got my legal work done. I got it done for free for the title company. As for the rest of it, though, what made the whole deal possible was the seller financing. Because all I had at risk was ten grand, right? And it was, it was non-recourse. So at any given moment, even after the day of closing, I could have given it back to him and only been out ten thousand bucks. So that was that's what gave me the peace of mind. Was I always knew I had that eject button, just like a modern fighter pilot. That if I screwed up, I got scared, I could always push the eject button and be safe. And that's what really put me over the top. Nah, that's cool. How does it work out from the closing? I mean, is that, it sounds like you, you get a P&L statement, you're doing a lot of research, you're following up or basically verifying everything through third parties to ensure that all the yeah, well, yeah. yeah, but at the same time, I didn't know what I was doing. So what I did was I closed on the deal and the little trailer in the park, which had always been the office, a little office sign on, a little single wide. And so I thought, well, you know, I got nothing else going on, sold my billboard company, I'm going to go out and office in that little trailer from nine to five every day and figure out what makes this big beast tick. So I went out there and not as owner, but just as a guy from the management company and went out there and sat in the trailer every day for a year. In so doing, I learned a lot of what you need to do and a lot of things you shouldn't do. And I heard a million and one crazy, insane stories from residents of things they'd done, neighbors were doing, and just pretty much a total waste of time. I did gain confidence in how the business worked, and I learned it was nothing like I originally anticipated. What did you really think? What did you think it was going to be like before you got into it? I didn't find it at OK Corral. So the first thing I did before I bought it, I uh, ran down and got a, a Texas concealed handgun license and had a loaded pistol in my pocket from the first time I showed up. I later found out that even though the people were poor, they were not dangerous. So I never, ever had a case of anyone threatening me or anything like that. So I pretty rapidly realized I didn't have to carry the pistol around. So I stopped carrying the pistol around. But when I first showed up, like any American who's watched any form of television or the movies, you know, you're going to think eight mile or something mm-hmm. like that. And that's not what it's all about. I mean, yes, there, there is scary affordable housing. I think the bulk of it is more, more along the lines of section eight and subsidized housing. But this basically is just like a high-density subdivision, although in the case of Glenhaven, a high-density subdivision of wacky people. But that changed dramatically in the months ahead. But initially, it was me and a bunch of carnival workers. I had just the craziest assortment of people you have ever seen, each one worthy of its own sitcom. It was so radically insane. There was a woman in there who had two daughters, both in their 20s, and she had lived in Glenhaven her entire life, as had the daughters, and they had never been actually married to anyone. She literally floated around and lived with almost every resident in the park. Just insane. So she actually had no home, nothing. She floated from trailer to trailer, living with guys, sometimes platonically, sometimes romantically. It was the craziest stuff you've ever seen. Somehow this ragamuffin group had cobbled together this little civilization there on the interstate. And that's what I was basically hanging out with every day for a year. That actually sounds incredibly entertaining. (laughs) Well, possibly (laughs) some. It got really annoying at the end because I realized I had basically wasted a year when I could have been out finding other mobile home parks to buy and other things. 
I, like any neophyte who doesn't know what they're doing, you don't really know how to spend your time to the most profitable level. And I had basically screwed the whole year over is what I learned. Yeah, yeah. bro. I mean, what's the, was there's like a silver lining to that cloud though? Like when you manage your first property, you get to realize like what it's like to actually have to like fix the toilets and, and do all that stuff to actually know. Well, yeah, you like, learn a whole lot. And then also in the case of Glenhaven, I got one huge lucky break. And I wouldn't have gotten lucky break if I had not been so actively on top of it. Yeah. And what the lucky break was that I was 50% occupied and someone tipped me to the fact that they were shutting down another trailer park in downtown Dallas. And it was basically all Hispanic. So I drove out to that park and the manager and I said, hey, manager, I would like as many of these trailers as I could for Glenhaven. So how could I wangle that? And they said, oh, my God, that's fantastic. Because under our agreement with the city to get it rezoned for this new development, we have to pay to move everyone out of here. So if you, we'll pay to move the people to your lots. This is just match made in heaven. So I was able to take Glenhaven from half occupied to fully occupied at no cost. And then the other crazy part of that transaction was now I was bringing in real customers. These are people who really had jobs, pride of ownership, sense of community, and it diluted down my oddball crew. And then additionally, it irritated my oddball crew because they liked Glenhaven being just a cast of nuts. So they would start then leaving. And every time they left, I would replace them with friends and family of these new residents who were perfect residents. And so I changed the just the complete complexion of that property uh, just almost overnight. And it took Glenhaven from being this crazy menagerie of nutcases to this really nice, calm, stable business model. That was my big luck out. Yeah, but you had that luck out, right? Because you were there. And like kind of had your finger exactly. on the was available for people to talk. Yep. To. I was there hanging out in the park, got, yeah. got told about the park, jumped in the car, went out there. If I had not had been granular enough in the business, I would not have known the park that was shut in, nor would have I been able to jump out and drive over there real fast. Because when those things happen, you know, all the surrounding park owners, they all want the customers, right? But I was like first guy there. And that, and that really helped me hugely. And then once everyone already got in the groove of moving to Glenhaven, then people who had been slower on the draw, it was already too late because they'd already decided to go to Glenhaven. So, but that, yeah, that was my big luck out from being there. That's pretty cool, Frank. I don't know, is sometimes we, we talk about um, on the show about like what the lesson learned is from one of these experiences. Is I have a couple that kind of come to my mind that, that I see from hearing your story. Do you have anything that comes to your mind in particular? Well, I'd say the key lesson learned so far in the story is, number one, the power of seller financing. I would have never had the confidence to buy Glenhaven using bank financing because I would have never signed on a recourse loan for Glenhaven knowing absolutely nothing about it. That was huge. Number two is when the structure is, is such that it meets a healthy risk-reward relationship. And by that, I mean, if it's got little risk and high reward, you should always do it. High risk, little reward, you should never do it. This scored very high on little risk. All I was risking was 10000 high reward. I didn't know what the thing would be worth, but I knew I thought it was worth more than what I was paying for it. So that was another key lesson learned. I say those are probably, so far in the Glenhaven story, those were the two key lessons learned for me. 
That's awesome. And I, I was just thinking too, in, in addition to that, like there's power of say seller financing, definitely there, right? But like there's yeah, another yeah. piece too that's like underlies that, which is the power of actually having a network. Because it's like you, you have a network because you happen to be there for billboards, but that's the network that gave you the the initial deal that happened to be so oh, yeah. And the network oh, of being on site was your network of kind of like your band of misfits to actually get like data from your grassroots network about what you need to do next. Right. It wouldn't have happened if you were off site, right? So it's like Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yep. Yeah. The funny thing is that, that I run into personally, and I don't know if this is true for you, but like ninety eight percent of the time when I feel like I'm like quote unquote networking. As I'm kissing a lot of toes to be able to find right. that, that one relationship that I'm like, okay, that's really valuable. But it's hard as an entrepreneur to grind through so many like quote unquote failures in a way, right? To be like, I just keep wasting time here to get to some of those pieces, those really key relationships that really, you know, really move. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah. That's awesome, Frank. So how does this story, how do we wrap up the Glenwood story here? Well, okay, so fast forwarding. So I've got Glenhaven, and one thing that I learned about mobile home parks early on was there was a huge amount of demand because I had some vacant rentals in Glenhaven. I ran ads in the Dallas Morning News. Like it was getting like 60 calls a week. So I thought, hmm, demand is pretty high for this stuff. And then I also found that the Glenhaven's lot rents were insanely low because, as I recall, it's been a long time now, but the lot rents at Glenhaven, when I bought it, I want to say were like, 175 a month or something. And over my tenure of owning Glenhaven, I drove those up to 300 and something a month. And even then, I was nowhere near the top. Today, lot rents in Dallas are 550, 650, stuff like that. But at any rate, so I knew based on supply and demand that I could be a little more bold on raising rents than Ron had been. So started raising the rents up significantly, filled up all the vacant park on homes, I sold them off. Sold the lots, and there was really nothing left to do at Glenhaven, but annually raise the rent. So meanwhile, while all that's going on, I get an offer for Glenhaven, and I take it. And so I end up selling Glenhaven for about a million and a half. And bear in mind, I bought it for four hundred, and I'd probably put another hundred in it of CapEx. But if you look at the lever, the return on that on that money levered was just insanely high. So, but so, so that was my first deal. The other, the reason I would call that my best deal was because the success of Glenhaven is what gave me the confidence to buy park number two, park number three, park number four. And then of course now we're at 300. So I guess the, the lesson learned there is JW Marriott, the hotel guy said it's the little things that make the big things possible. And that's kind of how it worked out. So it was just me, basically me hanging out in the trailer at Glenhaven, all the little things I did during that period. Repainting the laundry buildings and everything else, it actually, it, you know, it all grew into this giant pile of properties today. But that, that's how the movie ended. So Glenhaven was like my original portfolio piece, stepping stone to buying more parks. And, and there you have it. That's awesome, Frank. And, and if anybody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, the easiest way to get in touch with me is just if you go to the website, mhu.com, you'll find just me all over the place. Phone numbers, emails, you name it. Awesome. Well, Frank, I want to say thank you. I really enjoyed working with you here today on the show. I think it's a great story. I really had a lot of fun. And I want to say thanks to all the listeners here for the Real Estate Nerds podcast. Of course, I'm your host, uh, Scott Smith. And I look forward to uh, seeing you guys here again soon. Thanks again, Frank. You bet. Thank you. 
That's all for this Best Deal episode, and I'm your host, Scott Royal-Smith, with the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. When investments go good, they can go great. Your legendary best deal could be your next one, so keep at it. Thank you for joining us, and if you enjoyed the show, leave a review to help clue in those sleeping masses for what they need to know and what we all need reminders of. Do your good deed for the day, and I'll see you again soon.